We're rolling. Welcome to the House Dudes Podcast, where we invite you to follow us on our journey towards financial freedom using the power of real estate. I'm Jack Haas. And I'm Josh Koth. Here at House Dudes, we believe in a couple key principles. Number one, the best way to retain information is by teaching it to others. And number two, a rising tide lifts all boats. We're not competitors, we're a community. So let's get into some real estate investing. So Josh Cantwell's on the call. Josh, I can't thank you enough for joining us. And and we have a lot of ground to cover in a little time here. So why don't we start things off with you introducing yourself to everyone? Sure. Yeah. Thanks so much, Jack, for having me on. I'm really excited to be here and, uh, you know, tell you a little bit about my journey and, and talk a little bit more about, you know, raising money. Um, I, uh, my, my journey really starts uh, to go way back. Um, and, but it's important for the story is I came out of college, got my degree, and my dad almost lost his mind when I went into the financial services world as a full all commission salesperson selling mutual funds, stocks, bonds, insurance, financial plans. The reason why this is important is I quickly realized within a few years I was making a six figure income, but I quickly realized most of my highest level clients, my wealthiest clients didn't have all their money in the stock market. They owned real estate. So by the time I was 24 years old, I took notice. Um, I started buying about my first duplex all the way back in 2001. I was just three years graduated from college, 24 years old. I lived in half of it and I rented out one of those rooms and I rented out the upstairs and I was able to basically live in this duplex for about a hundred bucks a month. So I had a full, you know, 1200 square feet house. I was getting tax deductions. I was a, became a landlord. My mom thought I was crazy. Um, but I, I had a passion for real estate. And, um, by 2004, a couple of years later, quit my job to jump into real estate full time because I was doing some rehabs on the side, doing some rentals on the side and, uh, and jumped into real estate full time. Since then I've done about 750 residential investments, wholesale, short sales, fix and flips, rental properties, I've done over 400 private lender loans. Uh, today I manage a private equity fund with about $34 million under management of capital under management. None of that is institutional Jack, by the way, it's all private investors. Um, and we also own over 130, 136 private lender loans uh, as of this morning. And we also own 2,400 units of apartments. And so we've, we've gone through that journey of not sure what I want to do. Real estate seems pretty amazing. Jump in, wholesale, then move to more uh, bigger deals, more private lending, to becoming a private lender, managing money, and then commercial. So it's been quite a journey over the last uh, 12 or 13 years. Yeah, so let's let's start with uh, the the private lending because I know that's a, a hot topic, especially for people who are trying to get into real estate investing. Sure. Do you have some hints or, or tricks there? Like, what? How did you get into that? What was the progress or progression there? Yeah, good question. And actually, it was a personal experience. It was actually my experience of being di- diagnosed and uh, and recovering, having a massive surgery for pancreatic cancer uh, back in September. Uh, 2011, I was primarily a wholesaler. I was primarily flipping short sales. I was actually one of the nation's probably leading trainers on that subject. We would do three or four large live events a year, two, three, 400 uh, attendees. Um, And we were experts at short sales because I got really good at that before the foreclosure crisis. But in 2011, Jack, I realized I'd made a huge mistake because when I was diagnosed with cancer and was going through all these tests and doctor appointments, 
Uh, my wife was about to have our third child. My son, he was, she was seven months pregnant. I was bouncing back and forth between all these doctor appointments, hospital visits, getting poked with needles, tests, all these different things. And all of a sudden, I went from working 40 to 60 hours a week down to about 15 hours a week. Mm-hmm. And then I went in for surgery and my surgeon basically saved my life on the operating table. But again, wasn't really able to get back to work for four months after that. And so all of a sudden I'm working either very little or zero and my income went from this to that. And I realized I had made a huge mistake. I was very transactional. Now what actually happened on the private money side is right before my surgery, um, I bought a couple of properties. I raised some private money from some people that I already knew, uh, friends, family, people that were already colleagues of mine. Uh, gave me about $150,000. I bought two properties, about $80,000 each all in. Successfully bought those two weeks before my surgery. I turned over the renovation, the construction, the rehab to my team. And they successfully renovated those properties literally while I was on my deathbed, literally in the hospital, you know, going through this massive surgery. But what happened was in, in April of 2012, I came out of surgery. We flipped those properties. We made about $80,000 of net profit. And I thought to myself, like, wow, that was pretty amazing. Like, why did that just happen? And when I was in you know, my recovery, I wasn't able to work. Um, so I was thinking, like, I had a lot of time to reflect. And I thought, it, it kind of dawned on me, owning the asset allowed me to control the, the deal. Funding basically equaled the freedom. Funding allowed me to control the contractors, control the deal, control the money flow from my bedroom while these guys did work. I was able to have guys send me pictures, video of the work that was done on these properties. I didn't have to go visit the properties. I didn't have to be very transactional. And I thought this is much more fun. And it also goes back to my financial planning days, Jack, when I was managing money, I was used to it. Mm-hmm. So fast forward, uh, we got really good at recruiting capital and doing flips, then recruiting capital and doing rentals. Then it became a private equity fund because we had so much extra capital. So that's the story behind it. Now, how do you actually do it? How do you actually raise money? Well, first thing you have to realize is that when you decide to take investor capital, your investors now become the number one priority in your business life. Serving them, getting them a return, protecting their principal, providing a return on investment becomes, that's what it's all about. It's not about you. It's not how much profit you can make, the house you can buy, the cars you can drive. What the number one priority is, is making good deals, underwriting good deals, buying good assets, and taking care of their money. It is a security. It's a legal obligation when you take private investor money to pay it back to them to make sure you do well by them. So very, very important to follow the rules of the securities laws. So that's a longer discussion, but let's just assume that we're gonna follow the rules, we're gonna raise money. Um, Anybody that's a successful raiser, Jack, will tell you in your audience, look, if you're not successful at convincing people within your circle Mm -hmm. that you can use money responsibly, that you can raise money responsibly, you can do deals responsibly, you'll never raise a nickel from a stranger. So these guys that are out there like, buy this list of private lenders, pitch this list of private lenders who are total strangers, and you're gonna recruit millions of dollars, that's total BS. 
Um, if I can't convince someone within my inner circle, it could be aunt, uncle, mom, dad, a colleague from work, a friend from the RIA club, my neighbor, someone from my HOA, if I can't convince someone within my inner circle to invest with me, I'm totally going to strike out when I deal with somebody that doesn't know me. If I can't convince warm traffic to invest in my deals, I'm going to strike out when it comes to cold traffic. So mm-hmm. I look at companies like Facebook, Jack, like Uber, they all did a friends and family round of funding, a friends and family offering um, before they went public with their opportunity to invest in their business. So I'm not saying you have to pitch your family. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I'm saying is there's got to be a strategic way to educate them about what you do. Okay. Mm. Don't assume they have any money at all, but educate them about what you do. And if you do, and you educate them without selling them, without asking them, without asking them for money, if they like what you're doing, they're going to say the three magic words, Jack, which is what about me? Okay. Mm-hmm. So it really starts with that process. So I, I put together a whole 12 step process that I teach that's in my book that I teach my students. I've raised millions of dollars that way. We're not going to have time to cover all 12 steps, but it really starts with that mindset of taking care of investor capital. Investors become number one, and we're just trying to really do well by them. If, we, if that's our mindset, then you're in, in a good psychological place to manage money. Sure. So a couple of things that come to mind here now, when you were going through your, your cancer and you're in your, in your hospital bed, um, that had to have been a, a terrible situation, but one of the good things that would, it would be fair to say that came out of it was you, did that give you kind of a different view vantage point on letting some of that stuff go and relying other people leveraging and, and trusting other people's abilities? Absolutely, Jack. And because I had to, right? I I had to. When I knew I was going in for surgery, my surgeon said, look, it's going to be a very risky surgery. Pancreatic cancer has an 8% survival rate. My doctor made me sign all those weird disclosures Mm -hmm. that anything can go wrong. So I made plans to think like, I'm going to, if I even make it through this, I'm going to be out for a long time. And I was. Um, And so I was forced to rethink everything I did. So While I was away, I thought, well, I'm going to buy these two properties, see what happens, let my team handle the renovations, oversee the general contractors. And when it worked, I thought, wow, I I just stumbled into that. And if I focus more on building a business around capital, right, building, whether it's Mm -hmm. apartments, whether it's single family flips, single family rentals, small balance commercial deals, small balance apartments, whatever your audience is buying and selling or buying and holding, if they think, look, if I can solve these, these two trains going down two separate tracks, and this is what was on my mind in 2012, if I can solve the funding train, if I can get enough capital on that, then I don't have to do that forever. I don't have to raise money forever because these investors are going to come back to me over and over and over. I'm going to pay off their money. They're going to reinvest. I'm going to pay it off. They're going to reinvest. So I don't need to be raising money the rest of my life. So let's solve that first. Mm-hmm. Then we can go buy deals apartments, flips, rentals, we can do that with all the capital that we're managing. So you, because what most new investors are, are concerned about, I need money and I need deal flow. I need money and I need deal flow. So what that taught me was let's solve the money side of things because now I can, I can buy any property I want. I got $34 million at my disposal. 
Um, I could pay cash for a $10 million apartment deal. So solving that allowed me to say, now let's just go focus on finding deals. And then I, so I've solved one of the two puzzles and that's allowed my team to say, now we manage money and that's a permanent thing. Let's build systems around managing money and managing private investors. Now we just need to go find deal flow all the time. I became way more strategic about my long-term vision. The other thing, Jack, is I stopped thinking in the short term. And I would tell all your audience, even if they're new, even if they're thinking about wholesaling, even if they're doing flips for the short-term income, one of my biggest regrets is that I didn't keep every property that I flipped. Mm. Long-term, I'm thinking now, what if I had kept those 700 properties that I flipped or in wholesale? Mm-hmm. Right? We all get into real estate, why? Sure, income is fine, but we get into this for wealth building, long-term cash flow, tax deductions, you know, principal pay down, legacy wealth. So I would tell your audience, don't get trapped like I did in being really transactional upfront. Invest for the long-term from day one. That's what I learned from my experience with cancer for sure. So, so another thing that I thought was interesting there is that you, you bought these two places for 80 grand each and you, it, it sounds like you, you made about 40 grand per house in this scenario. Is that kind of your target? Like when you're, when you're doing those type of fix and flips and, and if, if that is the case, if that's the ratio, how have you been able to maintain, you know, for in our market that that would be a pretty, at least that seems to be a pretty tough nut yeah. to crack. That, that was definitely more of the 2012 market. And from 2012 to about 2016, we crushed it doing that. We were doing 12, 15 renovations and rehabs at any one time. We were flipping 25 to 50 properties a year, um, doing really well on a lot of them. Some of them we made 70, 80 grand. Some of them we made 10 grand. Lost money on maybe one or two, but we were really doing well. Um, but certainly by 2016 or so, 2017, things got really competitive. So we had to level up our game a little bit, do more expensive properties to get those same profit margins. So in the past, you know, we would buy a property for 50 grand, put 30 into it, be into it for 80, sell it for 130, 135. Mm -hmm. Then as that market for those lower end properties got more competitive, we went up where we were buying properties for 150, putting 50 into them, we're into it for 200 selling them for 250, 270, 275. So a little bit higher property, a little bit more risk. Um, we did some properties that were all in for 300, sold them for 400. Um, and we also lend, Jack, so we fund deals, we fund fix and flips. We're now a pretty big private lender in the Midwest. And, um, and we've seen students still, or borrowers still, finding those great deals where they can be in for 100, sell them for 150, and walk away with about 30 to 40 grand. Um, but as the market for residential, especially that entry level residential has gotten more competitive. Okay. What I tell people is, look, you've got to expand your market or expand your marketing, Mm -hmm. expand your market or expand your marketing. Meaning you're going to have to do deals that are a little bit further away from where you live. You have to do deals further out. You have to be more competitive in other zip codes, other areas, or you've got to expand your marketing, meaning you do more marketing right? Mm -hmm. More social media, pay-per-click advertising, direct mail, more referrals, working with more wholesalers, more realtors, getting busy, getting really aggressive on property acquisitions, making tons of offers, you know, 10, 20, 30 offers a week. So expand your market or expand your marketing when it gets more competitive. 
So how would you suggest people go about doing that? Let's say we ex you expand your market. Do you, are, are you being very strategic regarding those locations or are you doing more proximity to your location? Yeah, I think, you know, you've got to be more specific on what your exit strategy is. So if you know that you're going to primarily, let's say, want to wholesale properties and own long-term rentals, then you've got to find the markets within your market that uh, those sub-markets, those zip codes, those neighborhoods that are more specific uh, and better off for wholesaling and long-term rentals. So those are typically your C and B markets, mm. okay? Um, if you're going to be primarily flipping or buying small balance apartments uh, or holding longer term rentals, and maybe you like the, the more high quality rentals, I prefer personally to own higher quality rentals and be in A markets and have less cash flow, but to own an asset that I can ultimately sell. Mm -hmm. Okay. Got friends that, that invest in C and D markets and they own an asset and it pays a good return. It's got good rent but they'll never sell it for much more than they're into it for mm -hmm. because it's just not much appreciation there. It's a cash flow play. So you've got to know your market. So, you know, within the Cleveland market where I'm from, you know, we had to expand when we thought, okay, we want to do more mid market to more luxury flips. I had to go out to those really B and A class markets and get more, do more marketing, meet with more realtors, more direct mail, more PPC advertising in those specific markets. Um, so many new investors, I think, Jack, make the mistake that you just want any lead from anywhere. Mm -hmm. And then it becomes really confusing. I would tell them, be more strategic about your exit strategy. It's okay if you want to start wholesaling. That's fantastic. But wholesale with the intent of keeping some and building that long-term portfolio, right? Mm -hmm. um, or if you're going to flip, flip with the intent of operating in those A and B markets and then keep some as long-term rentals. I would also encourage your listeners, I don't care how new they are, to look at multifamily right away. Look at those eight units, those 15 units, those 25 unit buildings, because if they're under 2 million, those deals still happen through their residential marketing, okay? Mm -hmm. They can get small multifamily, a 10 unit, a 12 unit, a 25 unit, through residential wholesalers or through residential realtors, okay? Um, in my market, I don't know if they call it this in other parts of the market, but they call it resi-mercial. Mm. So we have agents that do residential. We have guys that do big commercial. And then we've got the resi-mercial agents. And those are a lot of agents that deal with regular homeowners, but are also dealing with those eight units, 12 units, 15 units, 25 units, small balance apartments. And you can find those deals while you're doing your wholesale marketing or looking for rental properties. So you've got to be strategic about where you're going to go, right? I was, when I started, I was way too much of a generalist where I would just take any deal from any area. Mm -hmm. Hmm. So then on the other side, when let's say somebody does expand into another market, um, how would you suggest they go about, you know, this is always a question that I get as well is how to build that buyer's list. Mm -hmm. And it's sure. always a struggle. You know, you're trying to find, you're trying to find maybe the private money. You're trying to expand into that next market. And I think what's typically forgotten or thought about when it's too late is marketing and establishing that buyer's list early. So you have a way to wholesale the actually wholesale the property. Sure. What, what would you suggest? How do people handle something like that? So a couple, couple of very tactical suggestions. 
Uh, first of all, is th there's really three or four things that I did uh, to build my buyer's list when I was really focused on wholesaling. One is I got access to some software that already had inside of it cash buyer lists that I could mm -hmm. simply export. I could figure out what properties they were buying, what properties they already owned, and that they were cash buyers. So um, the software that we use is called Accelerated Investor Office, um, and that gives me cash buyer lists. Mm -hmm. That's number one. Number two, RIA clubs right now are super uh, busy. There's lots of people there. They're very well attended. Go to the RIA club, that's number two. Number three, get involved in Facebook groups. Facebook groups that are to your, local to your market, as well as national Facebook groups. And you can put posts in there of a deal that you have, mm -hmm. um, and or a deal that you're looking at, and you can put the market that it's in, the zip code, and just ask people, look, if this is a deal that you want, drop your email, drop your phone number, write in the Facebook comments, or direct message me. Um, I've, I, I successfully did that. Now, when I was really wholesaling uh, from really 2004 until 2010, Facebook really wasn't a big part of the world at that time. I mean, I think mm -hmm. I set up my Facebook account in 2007. Um, and so it wasn't a big part of the world. But today, right, we own and manage a couple big Facebook groups. And there's always people putting their deals in there and saying, drop, you know, drop your email if you're interested in this deal or this zip code. I've got a home run deal. That's a great way. Co-wholesaling. So again, finding out who are the big wholesalers in your market. Again, it's all about networking. So going to meetup groups, go to the, you know, the RIA clubs. In my market, there's about seven or eight really big meetup groups where they're not part of a RIA club. They're not part of a Homevestors franchise. They're just guys running their own meetups. And some of them are apartment meetups. Some of them are private money meetups. Some of them are cash flow meetups or wholesaling meetups. Go to those because the guys that go to meetups are doers. Typically, we find the people at those are people doing real deals. So that's a great way to also build a buyer's list. So, of course, your website, got to have a website. Again, I would encourage people not to build their own website. There's a lot of great technology out there to, uh, like Trevor Mock is the CEO of Investor Carrot. He's a personal friend of mine. I interviewed him for my podcast. You he know, they just have on our show website. too. Yeah. Trevor's yeah. an amazing guy. I've known him for 10, 12 years. So, um, you know, those, those kind of things are great to find deal flow and also build your buyer's list as well. So you just got to get busy. You got to get focused on that. But I would tell all your listeners, look, there's really three stools, three tracks, three trains in real estate. It's finding sellers, finding buyers, and finding private money. If you find and focus on private money first, that's going to give you a tremendous amount of credibility because what a lot of people don't have is the cash to close. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if you're, even if you're a wholesaler, but you have access to 250,000, a half a million dollars of true private money from a private lender, not institutional, not a company, but a regular mom and pop private lender, you can now posture up and say, I've truly got the money to close. You can get a letter of intent from your private lender or proof of funds from your private lender that says you have the cash to close. You'll be able to posture up and say, like, I can do this deal. I can, I'm going to close this transaction. I'll either buy it and rent it or I might wholesale it. Solve that one first. The buyer's list side of things is, is constant, right? Because some buyers today are buyers and they're not a buyer in six months from now. They're not a buyer a year from now. So that's something you proactively do all the time. Same thing with marketing for motivated sellers. 
something that you're going to constantly be doing. But if you solve the private money thing, that's one of those three trains, one of those three stools, if you will, you can kind of check off the list and you're kind of done with it. Um, now for me, I'm in the private money business. Like that's what we do is raise money and deploy money. So I'm constantly recruiting and raising private money, but that's not the case for everybody. You could get a million dollars of private money. You could build an amazing lifestyle of financial freedom on a million bucks or a half a million bucks. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I know you have a, another meeting to run to, but there is so much information. You're always such a wealth of knowledge every time I catch you on another podcast. So where do people find you? How do they get in touch with you? And how, frankly, how could they maybe even work with you? Sure. Uh, so really two spots. Um, I, I've got my book uh, for your audience, Jack. I'd love to give it to them for free. They just pay the shipping and handling. Uh, it's uh, about half the book is my story of my real estate business and how it was impacted by my pancreatic cancer. Um, and then the other half of the book is really tactical about raising private money, finding deals, finding buyers, uh, structuring deals and lessons I've learned along the way. It's called the flip system. So if they go to getflipsystem.com, they can get it for free. Just pay the shipping and handling. We'll ship it out to their house. And then the second thing is my main website that has all of my business ventures, my private equity fund and things like that is freelandventures.com. And so if they visit those two sites, they can connect with us there. Well, I can't thank you enough again for being on the show and I hope we can do it again sometime. Absolutely, Jack. We'd love to come back. Thanks so much for having me on. We've put a lot of effort into providing useful content and if you've found value in the show and have any interest in supporting us with a small donation, head over to patreon.com slash house dudes. And if you have any thoughts or questions, shoot us an email at info at housedudes.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at House Dudes. And if you like what you're hearing, head over to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It really helps other investors out there find the show. And remember, massive positive impact requires massive positive action. We'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by HouseDudes.com. Do you have time to actively manage flipping and rentals yourself? If so, go for it. If you live in a market that won't cash flow or don't have the time to do all the work, are you just out of luck? If there was a way to participate more passively, would that appeal to you? I'm sure you have questions about how the process works and what to do next. If that's the case, fill out the form on housedudes.com investors, and we'll reach out to see if you are a good fit for our business. This is First Come, First Serve, and we will have to stop taking applications when our goals are met. See you at housedudes.com investors. I don't like to tell a man what to do with his money, but if you ain't investing in property, then you're dumber than a dummy. I'm not dumb. I'm smart. Well, buy property. That's my advice.